This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, everyone. Over the summer, the provincial government announced an independent review of the process used to set prices in the fishing industry. Bernard Davis called for the review after what started out as a chaotic fishery with some processors refusing to buy and some harvesters refusing to fish due to the prices set. Well, the price set for shrimp, for instance, was 50% higher in Nova Scotia and Quebec than it was here. David Conway's report was released last week. It reviewed the current price-setting models and made 20 recommendations, including periodic reviews, changes to the standing fish price-setting panel, and some changes to final offer selection. It's just one of a number of important issues facing fish harvesters today. Our guest on On Target is FFAW President Keith Sullivan. Hello. Hello, and good afternoon, Linda. Good afternoon. Well, since last we spoke, I want to uh, get this right off the top, because since last we spoke, uh, Hurricane Fiona, of course, caused devastating damage on the uh, west and southwest coast, including damage to fishing sheds, wharves, the loss of equipment. We've seen some of the pictures. How were harvesters affected? Yeah, well, first of all, we're, we're still thinking of the, those people over there who had their uh, their lives turned upside down, uh, for sure. And, you know, harvesters, obviously, no different. Uh, there are so many people, mostly on, on the southwest coast, but, I mean, it did impact other areas as well. It went uh, through to Labrador. Uh, but uh, we saw so many people lose their their stages, have damages to vessels, with all their gear went with it. So, I mean, there's the, the financial cost, but also, I mean, when you talk about people's stages, you know, their, their, their grandfather's stages and everything else. So it was, a, it was an emotional blow uh, as well for a lot of people. So we've had people on the ground working directly with our members, uh, working through a process that's mostly getting developed on the fly, really, uh, you know, liaison with uh, COA, federal government, provincial government, and now DFO announced yesterday additional funding. So, you know, part of this will be, uh, you know, clean up, but making sure that uh, that the harvesters, their, their uh, equipment and everything can be replaced and they're not uh, not disadvantaged going forward. It's not going to be, uh, be an easy one on a few levels, but there's definitely, uh, you know, a lot of work to be done in a relatively short amount of time. Not to mention homes, of, of course. Uh, you know, there's one thing to lose your equipment, but it's another thing to lose your home. Uh, and some of these homes were hugging the coast because that, those were the best places to get access to the water, if you know what I mean. Uh, so did any of your harvesters lose their homes as well? Uh, there's definitely some with, you know, pretty uh, serious, serious damage and everything, and we be within those numbers as well. And, you know, we're looking at different ways those programs will address uh, that stuff. So, you know, that'll, you know, uh, we've kind of been more focused on the details of, of, of their enterprises and like we have over you know 30 stages lost or destroyed you know uh, you know wharves the same over 30 wharves and things like that so uh, you know we're really looking at that level in detail from our point of view for our members obviously uh, there's there's others kind of concentrate a little more 
on on the homes, but you know uh, we're certainly pushing to make sure that the the funding is available. We don't hit snags, and you know it's able to come out to people uh, uh, quickly. So it's not too much more stress than people already endured because of what uh, when Fiona ripped through their communities. So what's that assessment process like? It must take a lot of uh, time and itemization of uh, of things. How is that going? Uh, well, there's so many uh, different details, and I'm sure, as in kind of all government processes, uh, you know, documenting uh, in great detail kind of what, uh, what what was lost. I think that's some of the problems we, we might run into. So we're going back and forth, and that's when I said right now the exact process and how they're dealing with that is not uh, totally uh, laid out. But uh, we've been talking to the, the right people in ACOA, dealing closely provincial government I certainly give them credit they've been very very supportive I've been working closely with them on looking at the details and we've had some uh, you know consistent forms that have been filled out detailing things in in great detail and uh, I must say give credit to to, the the people in that area they put in a ton of volunteer time and uh, you know there's still ways people can contribute obviously uh, going through the Red Cross and others and uh, our union Unifor uh, gave over a half a million dollars to the hurricane relief effort and I know there's people organizing concerts and doing all kinds of fundraisers now but it's unimaginable you know how much how much damage can be done in a short time from a storm like this any vessels affected uh, there were some vessels uh, affected, um, but I think either surprisingly or miraculously, it ha- wasn't as bad as it could have been. I know some people uh, put in, you know, can be, you know, uh, uh, you know, an incredible amount of effort to hold on to their vessels and men out in dangerous positions uh, in a storm that I guess nobody should be or. Uh, or would want to be, but I know people worked hard and, you know, kind of salvaged what, so what they used to, to make their livelihood. Uh, but there were a couple of, uh, of vessels, certainly with damage at least. Uh, I think uh, three in, in total that we, you know, as far as our commercial fish harvesters, uh, you know, obviously what really focusing on right now. So that's up to this point what we have documented. How much money has been set aside to um, to help these people out? Well, initially, uh, as far as the federal funding program, uh, they announced $300 million uh, originally. Uh, There's been further updates of... uh, $100 million to be administered through DFO. And that was only announced, I believe, uh, two days ago in PEI. So exactly how that will be done, we're unsure. We do see that there's been some uh, some paperwork and discussion going through about, you know, initially the cleanup, because in different areas, for example, PEI, they were actually in an active sort of fishing season and they lost gear. And obviously, uh, some of the gear that was lost from from stages and wharves and off the shoreline is something that we don't want to impact in the environment. And it's important that we get some of this stuff cleaned up. And I think that's that'll be some of the concentration. I mean, there's there's a lot of different considerations here, and you know, we'll uh, want to be a part of it uh, to help people out as as much as we can. Will harvesters uh, affected harvesters be able to resume the fishery next spring? 
I really believe uh, from what I've seen and what our people, uh, you know, have had, had conversations, I believe they're um, re- resilient uh, and hardworking. And in many cases, people, uh, you know, not really waiting around to depend on others to help, although I believe that they're going to get the support they need, turn around and prepare to, uh, to get ready for their, their fisheries. So I believe people will find a way. I think you know we've always we've always done it, and unfortunately we've seen some things like this before. Although this was a particularly vicious uh, storm, and you know obviously when we still thinking of the families and people who uh, who lost uh, loved ones and obviously their houses. Uh, so I think we can we can figure this out, and I, I think the people will be uh, ready to go when it comes time for the fishery. Any fisheries interrupted by the storm? As far as major fisheries, there, you know, this is, was a time of year. There's not necessarily a lot of the fishing on the go, so uh, you know there there were some uh, some opportunities still to fish, uh, but for the most part, uh, people were able to avoid it without too much interruption. I know even in the in the Gulf, for example, you still see uh, shrimp fishing ongoing, but. Uh, but there are some, I would say, relatively kind of minor interruptions from the fishing season point of view uh, on this end of things. So the the money has been set aside, presumably, to to help rebuild and and uh, get back what uh, people have lost. But uh, will it also cover lost income? Yeah, it could potentially cover cover lost income. And I guess, like I kind of pointed out before. A lot of the the details and the questions we have on this are not yet answered. And actually, just today, I was on a call with counterparts uh, across uh, Atlantic Canada, too, having discussions about, you know, what kind of messaging they're getting, what they're seeing. So, you know, everybody's kind of comparing notes. And, uh, you know, it's a little slow coming together, but, I mean, I guess as a part of making sure or uh, everyone's doing it right within uh, within government. So, like I said, that announcement was only uh, a couple of days ago with, with DFO. So that's a group that we have most of our relationships and dealings with. So, uh, you know, we hope to, you know, we'd have way more information for people in the coming days and weeks. And any messages to um, harvesters and their families? Well, the, the the number one, uh, I would say, obviously, got uh, got people here, and they've met and talked to our people, obviously, who are on the ground and went through this. But if there's anything, don't hesitate to, to contact any question, not uh, nothing too big or too small at this point in time, and just know that uh, you know FFAW and uh, and Unifor nationally are going to be there to uh, to support people, make sure to get the support. Uh, they need the best they can to try to recover from what's been, uh, you know, a disaster for, for those people, for their friends and family in the area. Our guest today on On Target is FFAW President Keith Sullivan. And Keith, of course, when we come back after the break, I want to talk about the uh, the report that came out last week. And this was the review into the uh, fish price setting, um, I guess, process in Newfoundland and Labrador. We'll be back right after this. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. 
And we're back. Our guest today is FFAW President Keith Sullivan. And um, this re- review came out last week, the report on the review, I should say, uh, conducted by David Conway into the uh, fishing industry collective bargaining model. Um, it was prompted, I guess, by uh, some problems that were encountered this year. Uh, what's your first impression? Yeah, well, first, we've been, uh, you know, really advocating for improvements to this collective bargaining for some time. So, uh, first of all, um, I guess we're, we're optimistic that they made some movement on this. It was somewhat relatively narrow review, mostly around just the, the arbitration part and the the, uh, the negotiation part of the of the collective bargaining. Uh, so, first of all, I'd say you know we're 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 definitely optimistic, and we look forward to moving uh, moving some of these recommendations along. Uh, even though the review period was was definitely shorter than we would have uh, liked, it's certainly better when you can get out and uh, talk to more people and do it over a longer period of time. But I understand they wanted to move on the possible recommendations quickly. But they did talk to uh, you know a number of our members, had an opportunity to meet directly with uh, Inshore Council, and I guess we'll have the opportunities now to work with what's uh, in the hands of our provincial government government to make sure that these changes work for the people of the province, work for fish harvesters, because uh, they had some major concerns and hopefully the really provincial government can work to address them now. Do you think it will make much of a difference? I really believe it can. Uh, you know, uh, again, it's uh, it's up to uh, our government if we're going to, to listen to the people of the province. I think uh, the David Conway's report gave them the opportunity to deal with some things. Uh, you know, I'm thinking particularly we're looking at, you know, a couple of the, the recommendations that uh, that talked about getting access to more information and more transparency. Uh, I would have liked it to be a little more direct uh, in the report and some stronger language, but it's clear, and it was a theme that was kind of weaved throughout there that, you know, there should be more information available to the parties and the panel. And, uh, you know, for example, other places where they, they negotiate the prices, they would know what the average sales prices for different product lines were. We shouldn't be arguing what, uh, you know, basically what percentage of an animal is uh, is uh, the meat, for example, when we harvest a shrimp or a crab, when we process it, whether... The part of that animal we're selling is forty uh, percent by weight or thirty percent. This is pretty basic stuff that we shouldn't be arguing about. So hopefully that's an area that can really, really improve upon. So what created all the chaos in the industry this past summer? Uh, many would argue that there's been chaos before in the industry, uh, Alisa, but uh, you know, I would say it's, it's a number a number of factors. Uh, you know, let's let's not forget uh, we're dealing with an industry like we we have uh, you know ten thousand harvesters in the in in the inshore fishery alone. You know, really, there's about a hundred different fisheries and areas, and it means so much to people. Thousands more in fish processing and everything else. The fact that it means a lot to people really elevates that profile. Uh, so many people depend on it. It's so important to a province. The other thing is it is a, uh, a volatile industry too, uh, and that's just by its, by its nature. It is tough. 
So we're talking about, obviously, we just mentioned about the sea conditions that people got to deal with at work every day. Uh, but on top of that, uh, sometimes you don't know until the season starts what your actual catch limit or quota is going to be. So we are, always encourage DFO to set that stuff much quicker, uh, and they, they certainly need to do a better job of that. But nonetheless, you don't know that. And then you're at the whim of... Uh, international markets, uh, market prices, and then throw in uh, currency volatility in different markets. So it's just uh, so many moving targets. It's certainly bound to be uh, difficult. Uh, And this year in particular, you know, we saw uh, declining crab prices. We generally hadn't seen that for some time. And that's one of the highest value fisheries we have. And I believe that was something that uh, made things very difficult. And uh, I I can't speculate uh, necessarily, but why the Association of Seafood Producers may have taken a very hard and aggressive line on some of the other species that we were negotiating this year. So it was a tough year, but I will footnote it by saying, and I'd like to... (laughs) Uh, the message to get out to your listeners that this year is the highest ever landed value in the inshore fishery in our province's uh, history. So on the backdrop of all of this, let's not uh, lose the forest through the trees here. I mean, we have a very valuable fishery. Generally, people uh, are uh, doing well. There's definitely challenges, and we hope that this review can be a part of a solution to uh, to some of the challenges that we do have. You touched on it there earlier about um, market and uh, currency volatility. Was there a lot of volatility this past season? The short answer is uh, yes, and I did touch on on crab, for example, and uh, we'd seen crab prices over previous years generally increase through the year. And that's, that was one of the, the main considerations uh, harvesters had seen in this volatility to add uh, an extra uh, reconsideration to the arbitrated decisions by the panel. And I, I think Conway covered that in his review and said, you know, if there's an exceptional circumstance, uh, you know, that, you know, if this market or currency changed, um, we could certainly go back and revisit pricing to be more more in line with uh, you know what the, what the market has given people. And I think that's fair and and reasonable. So there was a, a lot of volatility uh, in the past number of years, and I would say certainly this year as well. And it was kind of obvious with uh, with crab, uh, snow crab in particular. How does the the process that is in place here compare or contrast with other jurisdictions like Quebec or Nova Scotia, for instance, where we saw some considerably higher prices? Uh, well, you know, generally, I wouldn't say we did overall see 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 higher prices in those areas, but it can fluctuate uh, certainly from from time to time. Um, just to talk about to compare and contrast, I suppose. Um, Quebec, for example, would have have a system in some of their species that is much more like ours, and they have a, an arbitration system and negotiate minimum prices. And uh, they had a difficult uh, year too, and particularly in, in a shrimp fishery, and were late starting that. It wasn't that much different uh, than ours, but 
I would say that shrimp was one of the species in, uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador this year where we saw, uh, you know, probably the, the most uh, most difficult time for harvesters. Uh, prices were lower, quotas have been lower, and, uh, you know, the, these are people who certainly need new, new opportunities to fish. Uh, so back to other areas, and in uh, Nova Scotia or somewhere, for example, um, generally they uh, just market prices. They pay. There is no minimum prices, no protections uh, for harvesters in that area. So there is no rules around the uh, the sales of fish necessarily, and no protections. So uh, no, there's. Definitely, uh, you know, pros and cons, and certainly one of the big things that we've been talking about for some time has been uh, the difference in that area. They have options of probably more people to sell to just by way of geography. We are on an island. We're isolated. So having, uh, you know, having options, if you're able to sell to somebody in uh, in New Brunswick or Nova Scotia or something like that, you know, they, they definitely have a few more options to sell. And the competition in this province has really been the issue. That's the other thing that this didn't directly address. But, uh, you know, we would like to see more work on dealing with uh, uh, competition in this province. And that's the responsibility either way, uh, with a review or not, for issues around David Conway. We need uh, our provincial fisheries minister to look at those issues and tackle them more aggressively. Our guest today on On Target is FFAW President Keith Sullivan. We're talking about the review of the Fishing Industry Collective Bargaining Model. The report came out last week. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And our guest today on On Target is FFAW President Keith Sullivan. And uh, Keith, most of the re- bleh, <laughs> let me start again. Most of the recommendations in this um, review suggests uh, that the current models be maintained with some modifications. Does it go far enough? Well, in in, in some ways, I mean, it's uh, you know we, we've seen some success in the fisheries over the years. Like I said, we've uh, definitely. Uh, definitely have more valuable fisheries. We've been able to put in a formula for uh, for lobster for the lobster fishery, and just in that decade or so, we've seen that grown from going from 17 million dollars to this year is over a hundred million dollar uh, fishery just to harvesters. So, you know, there have been successes, and we we concentrate on the challenges, and rightfully so. But uh, I would say in two in two particular things, like I and I, I have touched on them before, not a lot of detail, but uh, more uh, detail on what should be transparent, what information should be available uh, to the parties in a negotiation and and a panel to make these decisions. So more information we can all agree on is better, and certainly. The, the accurate and up-to-date information, whether that's on uh, processing uh, yields or whether that's on on pricing of of fish in the marketplace. So there are a couple of things I think really needs to be given more uh, more direction to 
from uh, from government. And I, you know, I, I like I said before, I think their engagement on this has been good, and we hope to talk more. But also at the same time, the past we've certainly seen this uh, provincial government been more supportive of uh, larger processing companies than it has been of, of fishermen. And you know, I hopefully see this uh, going to see this change. The other one, I think, is, uh, you know, going beyond this report is looking at the concentration, which I think uh, we have, you know, generally it's a a few large companies, you know, uh, buying most of the product, generally all members of ASP. And I think we're we're seeing the results of that concentration in uh, in working together and I think uh, trying to keep keep prices down. That's a problem and that's got to be investigated further. What do you make of the recommendation on the makeup of the fish price setting panel? Three people, a, a processing rep, a harvesting rep, and a, and a neutral chair. How How is this structured now? Uh, well, more or less, really, uh, that's generally how it did function and how it was uh, how it was put in place. And that's, you know, more or less how it had operated. But it wasn't officially formalized in that way. Anyone who's followed it closely would have known that there was somebody who generally had experience in the processing sector, generally somebody who had uh, uh, an association with the, the inshore sector, knew that business well, even though they were, you know, independent in some way. So the recommendation here is to formalize that. Um you know, I think that's generally generally fine. We were certainly concerned that if a government moved away from a knowledgeable panel and instead went with like just a single arbitrator, so you basically call uh, someone in out of well, arbitrators obviously have skill, but they don't the knowledge of this industry. We wouldn't want to have one person coming in uh, without any really prior knowledge or experience and make a decision on a, on a billion-dollar industry. So I think these are that's a recommendation which, uh, you know, would have dealt with a problem. Like ASP this year uh, uh, really delayed uh, the negotiations, disrupted negotiations when they said there was a problem with Earl McCurdy um, on, the, on the panel this year. But, uh, you know, they've had the leader of what was formerly ASP on the panel in past times, and that wasn't a problem. So I think this recommendation would in some ways deal with that. And the whole notion of final offer selection, uh, most times it seems to work, but when the two sides are so far apart, there doesn't seem to be any mechanism to sort of meet in the middle, and I think that's what causes some of the real strife. Uh, The recommendation is that the panel be allowed to reject both final offers and continue bargaining. Does that address some of those problems we've seen in the past, or will that just delay the fishery if, if the two sides are so far apart? Well, I would say this is one of those double-sided ones. Uh, the final offer, it is supposed to. Uh, you know, there's a lot, a lot at play, a lot at risk, and ideally, people come with their best offer. It brings the parties close, uh, close together, and close to, uh, to a, we'll call it in quotations, a, a real price. Um, if you venture from that, if you say people can, you know, uh, do something different, it may have the result where people say, okay, well, they might ask me to come back, so I'm not going to come with my best offer. And it may, in fact, keep parties further uh, t- uh, further apart on things. 
And I will say, uh, I know there were some people calling about the opportunity to go in between on, on offers uh, this year, but, you know, it, the same thing would apply. You would stay far apart, and I would say in this past year, the FFAW offers, uh, you know, there's a lot at stake, and members put forward very real offers, real uh, prices, and uh, in all cases, we believe were, were very fair and reasonable. And what we saw on the other end of ASP, first of all, I don't think in a lot of cases really came in seriously to bargaining. Uh, you know, most cases uh, refused to, uh, you know, meet meet in person, very little effort put into the, the bargaining, which was, you know, was, was disappointing to our members and volunteer committees. And I would say that uh, lowballed some of their their offers, and as a as a way to go about things. So the fact that we were far apart sometimes was primarily a function of very very low offers from uh, the association of seafood producers in relation to what the market uh, could certainly pay. Uh, There's been a lot of talk over the last number of years now that some harvesters want to be able to sell to outside buyers. Should that be allowed or will that cause more trouble or will it benefit harvesters? How would that work? Well, I think that's part of the the review on on competition. I mean, like I said before, there's not much uh, competition. It doesn't seem right now. And I think generally people in this province are, I wouldn't want to see all this product leave the province. It's so important, same as if we can develop uh, more here, have more work, more jobs, add more value to our province. That is the way to do it. But it cannot be at the, at the you know, on, on, on the backs of a, a fish harvester now. Their options are limited, so we need more competition, and I think people believe that if that is the case, and, there's n- and provincial uh, government are not going to hold the companies to account where they didn't listen to the fish licensing panel and uh, basically uh, limited the competition this year, then people have to be able to explore all options and whether that's outside the province or not. I don't think much would uh, would, would necessarily leave, but the main thing is people got to be able to get a, a fair price for their, their, their product, and ideally everybody uh, would want uh, this product to stay in our province for, for people on the island and in Labrador. Our guest today on On Target is FFAW President Keith Sullivan. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. Guest today is FFAW President, uh, I was almost going to call you Earl McCurdy. Uh, Keith, I went back to uh, years and years past. Uh, Keith Sullivan, of course, and uh, we're talking about the fishing industry collective bargaining model, the recent review and report that was done on that. And um, Keith, it sets out a, a, a pricing formula for snow crab. What exactly does that mean? You know, again, this is one of the ones that's uh, that's actually, uh, you know, relatively vague, and it kind of uh, suggests the parties should get together to discuss that. Uh, we heard from a lot of members this year who kind of wanted a way to to deal with the the volatility, concerned about prices dropping. You know, we have had examples in you know a couple of other species. You know, whether it's uh, 
uh, lobster uh, lump fish roe or halibut where there's some level of a formula now this those models wouldn't necessarily fit here but the idea is is something that's got to be transparent and fair and obviously something that uh, that our members have confidence in so i mean it, it is an option you know i think there's definitely value in it and it probably would be good you know if you're able to uh, have decided on how we're going to share up the value of a resource uh, to be able to focus on growing uh, that value and sometimes is, is certainly difficult to do uh, you know in in the circumstance we see in a, in a lot of different years with that volatility where sometimes it feels like there's you know uh you know winners winners or losers or something like that so there's definitely uh uh definitely some potential there but it's, it's like everything there's a lot of details uh and hurdles uh, to be overcome and as with everything the devil is in the details for sure and this this case will be no different so why a, a pricing formula for snow crabs specifically? Is it because it's so lucrative? Um, well, that, that's a really good question. There's no reason to suggest that uh, that you couldn't be able to do it for something else or other species wouldn't benefit from it. Like I said, we've done it with others beforehand. I think, you know... Uh, you know, a lot of the focus probably was around snow crab, and because it's uh, the most valuable fishery in the province, that's probably the reason it was highlighted. Um, so I think that's 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 the reason why they focused on that one first. But like I said, there's no particular reason why it would be this over another one, uh, except that that's probably what they focused on. We were talking to uh, CNL a few weeks ago, and they suggested that an electronic auction pilot project be introduced. Would something like that work? Well, we've certainly tried to do that in the past, and I know, uh, you know, 25 years ago, some of that was was suggested. I mean, just uh, so people know, just to say we're going to put in an auction system, and that's how we're going to sell all of our our uh, our fish that's really not uh, is not realistic and i think most people in the industry would know that that wouldn't be for most fisheries it, you know uh, companies are not going to bid on uh, you know 800 a thousand pounds of cod in nooks and crannies and that but i think over time if there's an option to be able to do something like that we can certainly uh, consider it but it will go back to a main theme, and one of the reasons it didn't work uh, very well in the past when it was promoted by the FFAW, we tried to get it off the ground. Companies uh, uh, just generally did not compete for that uh, for that product. Uh, you know, it wasn't something that was overly uh, supported in that way, and it's hard to see how that would instantly work now otherwise without dealing with the competition factor. So there's a number of uh, reasons realistically and practically why that's uh, incredibly incredibly challenging and I think most would easily easily recognize that case but you know I think there may be options uh, for that and and ultimately I suppose in many ways unofficially that's what uh, would happen in in your kind of uh, in the market itself so you're certainly got the minimum price which should be fair and reasonable and then you're able to talk to all different buyers about selling your 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 product and uh, and things like that but 
Now, uh, generally, we've seen less and less of that with harvesters not being able to, to sell to another buyer. It's like they just don't have options to move, and that's not healthy, not acceptable. And we, we hope that our provincial government recognize that and make steps to deal with it. What realistically can the provincial government do? What would you like to see them do? Well, I mean, I, we've seen this year when uh, there were certainly uh, you know, options to to take recommendation recommendations from the licensing board. For example, that was would have been uh, one. But the other thing, in in lieu of that, right now, while we're focused, while this is right in front of us, is certainly at least to make uh, this collective bargaining and this model of the arbitration as transparent as possible. So I think that's probably in the short term while we're focused on this, that would be item number one certainly to focus on right now. I think that's where uh, we get the, the best bang for our buck and that's something that harvesters can have more confidence in and that's what we'd like to, to certainly see. Anything missing from the report you would have liked to have seen addressed? Well, additionally, like I had uh, kind of said two things before, is, uh, you know, more details, particularly on this piece on transparency. Like, if we go back, we included in our presentation a letter that we put into Jerry Byrne when uh, uh, he was Minister of, of Provincial Fisheries. And, uh, you know, that outlined in uh, kind of great detail what level of transparency should be involved and if, you know, provincial government would move to adopt that. So, you know, basically uh, confirming uh, yields on products, which is certainly easy to do as a conditional license. These companies got licenses in this province. Uh, comes with, you know, an incredible amount of privilege and you know they seem to be really supported well by provincial government but they seem to in return do not have a lot of uh, responsibility and they should be providing more of information very basic information to help uh, the process overall and you know ultimately build a stronger fishery in the province so I think that's an area where they can really up their game make a difference and improve things for for the people just over a minute left uh, so what happens now well we continue to engage with our our, our governments on it um, I'd expect uh, you know they'll be moving uh, things into the fall uh, in uh, you know relatively quickly I don't think they'll they'll wait on this so we'll continue to engage uh, in the meantime we got lots of other uh, work uh, to do <laughs> particularly dealing with uh, federal counterparts, making sure that they're uh, supporting inshore harvesters in the province. Lots of decisions uh, to be made there. So, uh, you know, we continue to, to work every day to, to make this uh, the fishery better for, for people here. i got to say it's a, it's a tough job, and, uh, you know, it is a mega project that kind of keeps on giving. And like I said, right off the top of the show, despite all the challenges, I wouldn't want people to forget that it's uh, certainly incredible value, a lot of jobs, and one that's sustainable and renewable. Keith Sullivan, really do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Linda. And we'll be back tomorrow. Stay tuned for that. We're going to talk about this uh, new uh, pay equity and pay transparency legislation that was introduced earlier this week. We'll be back tomorrow. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, everyone.